Hi and welcome to the latest episode of the Pirates of the Airways podcast, episode 7 if you're counting. This week I'm in conversation with Gary Drew, former presenter on East London's Soul Pirates, Melody FM, Soul FM and Bass FM. We also chat a little bit about what is a pirate radio station and the current radio landscape. If you have any comments about our conversation, then please get in contact via the Lambase Pirate Radio of the 70s and 80s Facebook group or email us at piratepod7080 at gmail.com. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Pirates of the Airways podcast. I'm Mark Wakeley, and with me this week, I have... Gary Drew, who some of you will know as Mix Master G uh, from some of the late 80s, early 90s Soul Pirates. So uh, good morning, Gary. It's a morning that we're doing this. Good morning. Good morning, Mark, and everyone else out there as well. The first question is the question I ask everybody, and you know what it is. How did you first find out about pirate radio as opposed to the normal radio as such? Well, it's a bit of an interesting story, really. Um, going back to the mid-70s as a kid, um, you used to listen to the police on VHF and was always fascinated by that. Um, so did a bit of tuning around, but didn't really hear any pirates. So a few years went by, and um, I got given a music centre uh, for, for Christmas one year. It was a hand-me-down from an aunt and uh, it was like a stacking stereo system and it had a separate tuner, you know. So um, I pressed the VHF button and there I was tuning around and I came across these stations that at the time I didn't know they were pirates. I thought they were just like um, every other radio station, but I did notice they were only on at weekends, a lot of them, or certain days. So I started listening to them with fascination, you know. I think the very first station I heard was around 1981, and it was called Forest Side Radio. Um, and then I heard Phoenix, and uh, then Horizon, and then, you know, several others. Um, but like I say, sometimes they weren't there when I went to listen, but I just thought that they were licensed to broadcast at certain times, and it wasn't until I got older that I realised they were illegal broadcasters. <laughs> well, you fell into the same trap I did. My initial um, listening was, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, was around sort of 78, 79. And the first stations I heard were on Medium Wave and North London Radio and Radio Amy. And I fell into the same trap as you and thought, oh, they must be licensed to broadcast on a Sunday at certain times. And then I had a conversation with a friend and he said, no, these are pirate stations, they've got their licence uh, and they just sort of, go out there and try and get away with it, basically. So, uh, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. And mine was also when someone got me a music centre, had a tuner on it, and that's when I first started tuning around the FM as well. And my initial ones, as again, as I said before, 
RFL and Radio Invicta. Um, as I mentioned in the last uh, the last episode of the podcast, so you started to listen to the stations. When did you first contact a station um, in any way? You know, just as a listener. Yeah, well, around 1984, I was getting heavily into soul music, so I was really enjoying the scene. And um, I was listening to all the Super Pirates then, uh, JFM, Horizon, Solar, um, LWR. Um, And it was in particular when Solar started, uh, that's when my interest really got excited. And um, I actually applied. uh, I sent in demo tapes to all the Soul Pirates at the time. I was only about 16, uh, 17, something like that. So I sent in all these tapes and uh, never got a reply. So didn't really worry about it. But um, I was working then. I just started work and I was making tapes for people at work. And um, I also uh, recorded the pirates like Solar and that and edited out the DJ and put myself in there. So... It was their jingles and ads with me as the DJ pretending to be on the station, if you see what I mean, as like a sort of buzz. But it wasn't until um, some of them closed um, a few years later, in 1987, that a friend of mine who went to college um, got me introduced to some people that were starting a station, and that's when I started doing pirate radio. So you were involved in a station right from the very beginning. Uh, Which particular one was that? That was Melody FM from Walthamstow. Um, I uh, had a friend called Patrick James. I've lost touch with him now, so if he's out there, hello, Patrick. <laughs> uh, hope you're okay. Um, yeah, I, I had this friend, Patrick, and uh, he knew someone that was starting a weekend station. So these guys started Melody FM, and uh, some of the, DJ at the DJs at the time that I remember was myself, as Mix Master G, um, PJ Bear, which was Patrick James, Steve Sullivan, Sterling Steve, Lenny Williams, um, T Whirlwind, and Funkenstein T, and Dave Dupree, whose dad I think had a news agent or had the finance to fund the station, so he I think put the money in. And uh, Melody FM was born at Easter, 1987, on 102.4. Um, from the Beaumont Estate then. I think the first broadcast we did was from the Beaumont Estate in Leighton, looking um, towards Leighton Bus Garage. <laughs> I, I know the area. Are you from Walthamstow originally? Is that, is that where your hometown is as such? Yes, yeah. That's where I sort of grew up when I was young, yeah. Yeah, so do you remember um, Radio Shoestring? I do, yes. In fact, I used to listen quite a lot to Radio Shoestring and record it. And um, over the years, I've provided tapes for certain websites that wanted archive of Radio Shoestring. And uh, I actually went to the last, well, the last official broadcast in uh, July, I think it was, 1984 in Lloyd's Park. They wanted to do an outside broadcast live, but the council wouldn't let them. So the DJ said, come down and meet us. And that's where I think I met Christopher England. Right, Radio Shoestring is what you're listening to on 103.2. Christopher England here, sitting in for Gary Neal, who I thought was supposed to be here, but it doesn't matter anyway. We don't care. But at midday today, we're hopefully meeting you lot, um, because we're going off the air today for the very last time, um, probably during the afternoon sometime. We will be switching off forever. 
which is very sad. So we want to meet you and have a chat about bits you've enjoyed in shoestring, bits you've hated and bits you've loved. And uh, uh, we want to meet you in Lloyd's Park, which is in uh, Forest Road. It's in Forest Road, right near to Ho Street, just down a bit, going back towards Tottenham. However, we were supposed to be having a, a live disco there in an outside broadcast, but the council don't like it. They don't think it's a good idea. So um, we'll have to see what we can do but it seems likely that uh, we won't actually have a live outside broadcast from there. So, the council, all I can say to you is... Hmm. I remember this big chap with a bushy beard and a green anorak, around about 30 he must have been at the time, um, and he drove a motorbike. Um, and I remember chatting to these guys so, so yeah, that, that's um, my knowledge of shoestring. And living where I lived, the, sh the signal was absolutely strong, you know, really good. Yeah, um, Radio Shoestring, I, as you may or may not know, I was on that for a short period of time. You won't have any tapes of me on it, I don't think. I did quite a lot of late-night stuff or very early-morning stuff. Um, I knew Chris England very well. I'm hoping to have uh, Danny Dipole uh, on the podcast in the very near future, who was also involved in that. But yes, Shoestring was what I did straight after Radio Comsat, which was the, the original medium wave station. And then when I stopped doing that, really fell out of radio for quite a long time. Always liked to hear memories of Shoestring, and uh, I still got good friends from that time as well, which is nice. So Melody, Melody was a weekend station, soul music, I assume. Uh, interesting DJ names. I always liked that because people think... Uh, that that sort of started off with the soul stations. Absolutely not. The ones I remember from Telstar 1, who uh, used to broadcast with lots of power on 235, uh, were Bear, Number 6 and Eggbox. Um, and, and that was mainly like a, a proper heavy rock station. And that some of them then morphed into Alice's Restaurant, which you also know about, of course. Um, so Melody, what? How long was Melody on for? What sort of format were you on Saturdays or Sundays? What was what was the situation with Melody? Yeah, so Melody was like from say six in the morning on a Saturday through until midnight on a Sunday. Um, the format was mostly soul and lots of rare groove at the time because um, there was a bit of a rare groove revival going on. So we were playing lots of that. Um, it did continue after I moved on to another station, um, but I think it only lasted just under a year. Um, but yeah, I think it um, did continue for a little while after I left because I did remember hearing it and staying in touch with some of the guys as well. And um, what sort of power were they using? What was it like? Did they have any brushes with the authorities? That's the other thing I always like to know. Were you broadcasting live as well? Yeah, we was broadcasting live um, and the few things that I do remember is um, one of the blocks, we had a massive long aerial. Um, it's like a TV aerial, horizontal with rods, but it was a massive TV aerial. It wasn't a TV aerial, obviously, but this thing was directional and uh, it had lots of beams on it. And the coax cable coming from the aerial, which was strapped to the balcony, pointing towards Leighton Bus Garage, I think it was. Uh, the coax was like um, road cable from the mains that comes into your house. It was really thick. Um, but I don't think it got out further than East London at that time. But later on, when we started linking, um, I think we had a band three link and um, we started getting out further into North Kent. Um, 
when we started linking. And I remember being up a tower block, scared of heights, <laughs> um, standing on this balcony, and we had a makeshift um, link, and uh, it was like a broom handle, and on the top of the broom handle was like a tweeter of a speaker, um, a cone, you know, like a microwave cone, but homemade, with tin foil over it, covering it completely. And I had a walkie-talkie, and I was with someone, and we had to line up this beam um, to get rid of the hiss and uh, wait for it to be fully lined up before we let it go and then tied it with um, bungee ropes and things to the balcony. Um, that's when we was having a midpoint um, broadcasting from one block linking to another block, you know. But the, all the broadcasts were always live. Um, and as I say, it wasn't till later on that um, it started getting out further because I think they bought better rigs or made better rigs or, you know, someone was supplying them maybe with better rigs. Um, but in one uh, flat, the transmitter was in the bathroom. I'll never forget this. The transmitter was in the bathroom. Obviously, we needed to go to the toilet and everyone was scared to go in there to go to the toilet because they were worried about radiation or whatever. <laughs> so it was like quick in, done and out, you know. <laughs> It was uh, quite a bit of fun, really. Quite a bit of a joke between the jocks. And did the station ever get raided at all? No, not not when I was there anyway. Um, and I don't think it did um, ever. I think they were lucky. I know some of the blocks they used um, got visited before with other stations in, but they didn't. And um, yeah, I think they were just lucky. Um, later on, by the way, the people that set up Melody went on to set up Dance 93 FM from Himes Park. It was the same uh, group of people. Um, and I think they were using the Northwood Tower in Wood Street at the time, in 1990, when they set that up. But um, I did stay in touch with them for a few years, you know. So Melody's on the air for just over a year. You stay with them for a while. Then why did you leave? Any reason you left or did you just think, oh, I'll move on to the next thing? Yeah, what it was, um, my best friend Patrick James at the time, um, he was uh, getting involved with other people that wanted to start another station and some of them were Melody FM jocks. So they wanted to set up like a spin-off station of their own. So after about five or six months, they decided to set up Soul FM. So um, Patrick said, I'm going to leave Melody um, uh, I'm thinking of joining Soul FM. You know, I'm not saying you have to, but have a think, see if you want to do it. So at first I held off for a while. And um, after a couple of weeks, I started listening to Soul FM. And then one night I heard Patrick's show and I thought, yeah, I'm going to switch over. So I went and joined Soul FM, which was also a weekend station. <laughs> and uh, that started around October of 1987. And um, again, that was on for about a year. Started on 91, I remember that, next to Radio 3. And uh, later went on to 96.9, where it stayed for most of its life anyway. Um, and that's where I met some other DJs that went on to do other things. And uh, I think two of them in particular, one was Roger Brooks and one was Pete Simmons. And I think they both do chocolate radio now. But um, I haven't seen them for 30-odd years, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, nice memories. Yeah, well, one of the reasons that uh, the Facebook group's been so successful, I think, is because a lot of the guys who were involved back in the day 
uh, did lose contact with everybody. I lost contact with an awful lot of people. I knew one or two, but then I got to know a few of them again through Facebook, mainly Mark Dazani from, well, you might know him from Radio Zodiac. Um, and and it's just sort of snowballed from there. And now I knew lot. I know lots of people who I didn't know at the time, but have met since and obviously talked to since as well, uh, which is quite nice. I I I did make um, a comment. It was either on the Facebook site or in the last podcast that because of the age group of the people who were around seventies and eighties pirates, that we all sort of realised that girls existed and then got married and had kids and stuff and all came out of the scene all at the same time. And uh, it seems to be a, a sort of a running thing that everybody, once they get to sort of 23, 24, uh, with the exception of, 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 the, of the ones I know who are still involved in the business, all seem to move out of it because it's a hobby that they really, really are involved in. And then all of a sudden life takes over, like all these things. Everybody seems to have fallen down that, that hole at one time or another. That, you know, why they gave up Pirate Radio, which is why I did, to be honest. So, uh, Soul FM, big station, 24 hours or just weekends the whole time? Again, just weekends, but sometimes, some weeks we did do 24-7, depending on where we were. Um, you know, we used blocks around Leighton, Leightonstone, Stratford and Walthamstow, um, some better than others, obviously. Some of those blocks, particularly in Stratford, are now part of the Olympic Park, <laughs> Carpenters Road, and that it was all destroyed later on, you know. But, um, yeah, sometimes we would do uh, weeks where we would stay on, um, and other times we just did weekends. But most people knew us as a, the sound of underground London as a weekend station, you know. I'll be honest with you, put my cards on the table here, never been a big dance music fan it wasn't really my thing so the dance music stations are a little bit of a mystery to me obviously i knew about solar and horizon and invicta and lwr and and all these uh, not, um lmr wasn't it lwr was a different station altogether <laughs> lmr and kiss and so on but very little about the stations that sort of moved on from that there just seemed to be a thousand of them and again with absolutely no disrespect to you or anyone else on these stations to me, they all sounded very similar. I'm sure all the rock stations sounded very similar to people who weren't into rock, which I also get. But um, and I and they were all seem to be targeting the same audience all the time. Now I know there are nuances in genres of dance music, and and you've already spoken about some of them. It all just goes over my head, I'm afraid. <laughs> and and again, it, it's no disrespect to people who are on those stations and like that music because. Music is music and it moves people in very different ways. And I know that being a, a, a DJ or a mixer is quite a big thing. Back in the day, I used to be friends with what, who is now Fat Boy Slim. He was Norman Cook back in those days. And, you know, I know that it, it's, it's an art form in its own right. And I've never quite understood it. So I've got to lay my cards on the table there. So how long, Soul FM, how long uh, was that going on for? And uh, did you get a good response as well? That's the other thing I'd like to know. What sort of response were you getting on that? Yeah, um, the mornings, I did uh, breakfast for a while and that seemed to get a good response. Saturday morning breakfast, although it was a bit early for me working as well, having to get up early on a Saturday. But um, eventually I moved to the afternoons, two till five. Um, the response wasn't too bad. Um, I, I didn't see any letters, but I was told about letters that were going around you know um i don't think any of us saw any letters to be honest often anyway um but that's just the nature of the beast at the time you know um 
but yeah, the response was good. Um, I started doing clubs and this is where I got told to be quiet, really, uh, in a nice way. Um, because I'd been used to doing radio, when I started doing clubs, I was talking too much. And people were saying to me, you, you're going to lose them, you're talking too much. And I was saying, really? Um, because that's what I was used to, you know, with radio, you keep the continuity going and that sort of thing. And they're going to me, no, 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 be quiet, don't talk as much, you know, um, just say the odd, um, read out the odd cards when people come up and write a card for a request or whatever, but don't keep talking too much because you'll lose the nightclubs, you know. And it took me ages to adjust from doing radio work to nightclub work. <laughs> but um, I finally got used to it after a few months. On, on that very same subject, when I was on Shoestring, uh, I used to knock about a bit with um, Greg Powers, and he used to do residencies down at uh, what was then called Busby's down at Charing Cross Road, which I think became the Astoria 2 and a few, number of other changes of venue. I think it ended up as JY, actually. And I couldn't, couldn't do the, the live thing because I was a radio presenter and always had been. Um, the live thing was something, you know, I tried it. And the opposite, or similar to you in a way, is that it was about talking in, in what I did and it wasn't about just playing back-to-back -back music as such. I'm still not a big fan of that style of radio anyway. So I, I totally get what, why the transfer from, from doing radio work to, to, to doing live club work uh, it's quite a, it's quite a difficult step, I think, and I think they are two different arts. And I think the stations that that do play club music as such, that's fine, and the presenters know what they're they're doing, and and they're club presenters and wouldn't necessarily work in radio. I, th I think there are obviously people who've who've moved through people like Trevor Nelson, who's who's done a bit of both, and works very well both, and uh, Pete Tong and people like that. You know, it, it is a very different art form, I think. And it is an art form. I don't care what anybody says. You need to have a certain amount of skill to be able to do one or the other or a bit of both. And the ones who can do both, I think, are probably the, the real talented ones, to be honest. Steve Walsh, I also uh, met him a couple of times and he was on Invicta and Horizon and a few things. And he was another one who had a massive personality and was able to do the live and the radio thing really, really well. The, the other thing is, at that time, this is I assume this is when, when the, the, the big dance music station explosion happened. So how, was, how did that work? Because I know at times it got a little bit unpleasant. So were, you, were there stations involved that you knew in, in that? Don't have to name any names, but um, in that situation? Yeah, some stations I knew had trouble from a few other stations, but um, I didn't really get involved. You know, it, you just heard about it, word on the street sort of thing. We, we didn't go down the dance route um, because we was a soul station, so we tried to stick to the soul and rare groove format. But by the time Soul FM came off the air, um, around the end of 1988, the whole scene had started changing into like acid and rave and all that sort of thing, hip house. And um, by, by 89, all the stations were playing that type of music, you know, hip house, um, garage, house, rap. Um, I didn't mind some of the rap. Um, but, you know, um, I wasn't really into that scene. And by that time, I'd left Soul FM. Um, but I still had my ear to the ground and had contacts in the right places to know what was going on. But um, I decided to um, have a little break for a, about a year and a half. And then 
I was uh, contacted again about another station. Um, so in 1990, I was asked to do Base FM, and uh, that was in Seven Sisters, um, in like a townhouse. Again, through contacts, uh, I did a. I didn't do many shows for them. I think I was only on there for uh, two or three months. It didn't last very long anyway, as a lot of stations didn't at that time. I think people was experimenting or they had limited finance so to put a station on didn't sort of think it through properly and then run out of money and couldn't continue or decided that there was too much competition too many stations at that time um, because i remember stations started broadcasting over each other on the same frequency and then there was these station wars where people alleged to own a channel and you couldn't go on there you know, because that was someone else's channel and all this nonsense. So I, um, by that time, I'd, I'd sort of uh, come away from it and decided to go into legal radio, RSLs and hospital, you know. Yeah, in, in the same way. I, I mean, I, I, interesting you talking about various stations and, and their attitudes towards their frequencies. I did an RSL on Christmas uh, for a station and um, uh, someone rung me while I was on air and said, you're on our frequency. We're going to come down and sort you out. And I said, fine, I'll tell you exactly where I am. Come and see me. Of course, I never saw them. And we weren't going to move the frequency because we had a license to broadcast for 28 days and they had no license at all. So uh, just trying to scare. And they didn't realise I was an old pirate and didn't scare that easily. But I, I do know uh, if you've listened to previous episodes of this, there are people who've talked about um, the reason they got out of the actual pirate radio scene was that they were being threatened because they were building um, transmitters for other people and it, it just all became a little bit tribal in that context. And you were, you know, you were either part of that station or you weren't and you weren't able to, to deal with other stations. And it, it, it seemed to get a little bit unpleasant. I think a lot of people pulled out of the whole thing uh, around that time because a different group of people came up. And also, as you were talking about, I don't think people think very hard about how they're going to keep a station on the air. The, the, the big, what I call the big dance music stations, seem to have a, a system where the presenters were paying the station to do the programmes, and that's how they were financing it, and then advertising various club nights and rave nights and so on, and that bringing money in that way, which, of course, is, is a very different way of, of doing radio advertising. And that's fine. If, if the DJs are prepared to pay the guys to run the stations then that's fine. I know people who did that. Is it in the spirit of pirate radio? I don't know. Pirate radio is pirate radio and it finds always finds a way to survive. And in London and certainly in Birmingham and places like that, there are still those stations around uh, who are still broadcasting illegally. And some of them are online as well, yet they're still out there on FM taking the risk because I don't know the presenters want to be on the air. Although weirdly, the latest figures from, from Rajar say that... Uh, AM and FM listening now is down to about of the third of the radio listeners now are listening on FM and AM. The rest of it's all what they call digital listening, which encompasses DAB and online, which I think they need to separate those two out. But I also know in Ireland that DAB pirating has now become a thing as well. So pirates will always find a way. They will always find a way of getting on the air in the best way. And there has been a debate on one of their websites. It might even be on the pirate, the land-based pirate site of what's a genuine pirate station is a station that broadcasts on the internet really a station that's broadcasting. They're obviously not a pirate because they, most of them 
have the licenses they need to do that broadcasting, mainly music licenses. Are they broadcast radio stations or are they just people playing music on the internet? And that's the question that my personal feeling is, if you are out there broadcasting in the context of people can hear you anywhere, then you are broadcasting and it is a radio station. I have other views about voice tracking and people just playing continuous music and so on. But certainly my feeling is that if you're broadcasting and it's a properly run radio station, then it is a radio station. And there are plenty of them around. Um, although FM and AM listening is going down all the time. And I think will probably be a thing of the past in 10 years, definitely. And everything will come through the internet, whether it's 5G or whether it's on an app. But that seems to be the way things are going. I recently got pulled up for saying that because um, I said, someone said to me about, you know, doing pirate radio. And I said, what's the point? And they said, what do you mean? And I said, um, I wouldn't bother, just do it online. Why is that? Because the majority of people just put it on their phone and it's there. They're not worried about searching for the frequency, tuning in on FM or AM or whatever. They just want to click it and bang, it plays. And the reception's crystal clear and they're not out of range. They can hear it anywhere in the world because it's on their phone, as long as they've got a mobile signal. And uh, a few people weren't happy with me, um, a few of the hardcore anorak type people. But, you know... Uh, it wasn't in a bad way. It, uh, we're still friends, but um, and it, everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I can understand the anorak side of it as well and the buzz that you get when you hear it coming back over the airwaves. There is a, a buzz to that when you hear it coming back over the FM and the medium wave even, and even the short wave, you know, there is a, a real buzz to um, hearing it come back. But... Um, I think the airwaves are overcrowded now in some areas. And um, like you say, a lot of listeners, a lot of listening is going to DAB. I listen to DAB Plus myself quite a lot. Um, and uh, I just like uh, the clear reception, really. Um, and not worrying about being out of range of any particular station. If I live too far out, um, it doesn't matter anymore because I can hear it online or whatever, you know, in the crystal clear anytime I want. Um, there's no one saying, oh, that's not meant for your region. You can't listen to that. You're out of range. You know, that doesn't count anymore. You're absolutely right. And, and um, it's funny, I, I was on an FM community station where I live now in Shropshire, and I've actually not left them, but I'm not doing programmes for them at, at the moment. And I don't know what their audience is. It's very difficult to know. I also do programs for an online community station in an area where I don't, I used to live, but don't live anymore in Northamptonshire. And I know that I get a certain amount of listeners to that show. I do a Sunday morning show. Um, I really enjoy it. I do it from home, obviously, because I don't live in Northamptonshire anymore. And I know there's a certain amount of listeners and people who know me and family listen. And that's really nice, which has not really been possible before. So I've got people all over the country who know me, who listen to that, plus people in the, in the local area. It's a very successful uh, online community station as well let me just say that far more successful than a lot of the fm stations and again i think a lot of that's to do with the fact that fm and am is is not really something that people listen i mean i do because it's something like all of us i'm still a bit of an anorak so i'll still tune around medium wave and over here in shropshire if i can pick up caroline i'm quite pleased but i if i really seriously wanted to listen to caroline i would listen to it on the app i wouldn't bother trying to listen through crackly medium wave 
which which is not very good over here, to be honest. There's very little on the actual broadcast band where I live. So I, I live just near Telford in Shropshire, and um, and it has had pirates around there. There's been pirate stations, plenty of pirate stations. There was a lot in Birmingham, Wolverhampton, and Telford itself. Nothing at the moment, but you know I'll tune around and see what's there. But there's there's nothing really. You know, with with the demise of independent local radio, you know we have um, all the usual people. You know, greatest hits radio, various smoothing capital outlets. And we've got free radio here as well, which is part of Bauer, which uh, is the old Birmingham BRMB and uh, Beacon Radio, I think. But they broadcast from literally, I can see the transmitter mast from my from the room I'm in now. So, <laughs> so it, it comes through quite clear, shall we say. I think this debate about, it's interesting we're talking about this, because I think this debate about is it radio, is it not radio, is an interesting one. And I think you're right about people who are very, and again, I, I don't say anorak in a derogatory way, because I'm an anorak myself. But there are people who, who who are purists, for the want of a better word, and go, if it's not on medium wave or FM or shortwave, then it, it's not real radio or not real broadcasting or not real pirate radio. And and I'm not sure about that. You know, you can listen to anything you want. In the modern world, you always adapt to what is the medium of the time. So, for example, I went to a a, a, a meeting about various creative things near where I live. And there were lots of people there and there were TikTokers and YouTubers and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, would I have been doing that now? They were the sort of age I was when I was doing pirate radio. What was available to me at the time was pirate radio. There wasn't any internet. So would I have been doing internet stuff then because that was what was available to me? And that's the thing, the thing that everybody needs to, to look at in this Context and again, it's it's no disrespect to people who want to be on, you know, Seagull or Caroline or you know the Mi Amigo RSL that they was doing last week. That's great, and I love the fact that these things are not forgotten. And, and the reason why radio is what it is is because these people took a risk. People like you and me uh, uh, took a risk to do it. Talking of taking a risk, we're going to go back to you and your your radio life. One, did you do a lot of tower block work? And two. Did you ever come close to getting caught? Um, I saw a car pull up um, hanging around the bottom of a block. Um, it was all tower blocks in the 80s, uh, what I did. And um, it was all urban London, you know, um, greater London. And uh, I saw a car pull up, um, but I wasn't sure if they were authorities or not. But I remember leaving the studio and I, I got told off because I put my records in a bag and I put my, the bag on my shoulder or on my back like a rucksack, you know. And um, these guys were watching me when I came out of the block. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to walk to my car. I just had that sort of feeling, you know, they're watching me. That I could sort of like feel their eyes burning me in the back sort of thing. So I carried on walking. I thought what I'll do is I'll walk down the street and wait 10 minutes or something and then come back again. And I did. And by the time I came back, they'd gone. And uh, so whether they were authorities monitoring the comings and goings from the studio, I'll never know. But the station manager at the time went berserk and said to me, never, never um, put records in a bag on your shoulder like that. Um, leave some in the studio or, um, you know, uh, put them in a sports bag like you've been to the gym or something and you're going home to your flat, you know, or something like that. <laughs> and everyone had these mad ideas, you know, about how to avoid um, getting caught. 
Um, none of us were caught, to my knowledge, um, but I'm sure that even with the best excuses in the world, if we'd have got tumbled at that time, we, we would have probably forgotten the script anyway, <laughs> you know, um, due to nerves. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and when I was doing it, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, do you get away from that? What do they do? And, and a lot of it came from Radio Jackie, to be honest, um, who, who were constantly raided for quite a long period and then weren't raided at all for ages. And a, a lot of the talk came from them and other people I knew who had been involved in raids. And I certainly know that Shoestring were visited uh, during their 24-hour period when they weren't allowed to take the equipment away. And, and, and you know, the authorities came in, checked the equipment, quote-unquote, and then disappeared again. But, but, but I, I've never, never... I've had equipment taken by people, members of the public, I assume, and uh, certainly one radio amateur who, who, who tracked us down once and took all our equipment away. And an off-duty policeman once said, you need to switch that off or else I'm going to have to tell someone. But really... I've never had any dealings with the post office. I think a lot of media my stations didn't. Some did, a lot didn't. You know, again, we're going to be talking to people on future podcasts who are running media my stations who who claim never ever to have been busted in in years and years of of broadcasting. So, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I think the authorities again goes through phases. But all that stuff about oh, how do you not get caught and you've got to say this and you've got to do that and you there was always talk about that, always, always talk about that. And it's the same sort of thing, obviously, you went through towards the end of the 80s and the, ni- and the beginning of the 90s. So Base FM, you were there for a few months. Um, again, an East London-based station. So you didn't, you didn't move very far away from East London at all with any of your, your pirate activities, from what I can tell. Well, that, that was more North London than East London, um, the Base FM. But I did actually move from East London to North London a bit later on. Um, I moved to the Enfield area. And um, I was doing RSLs then and, and uh, hospital radio as well for quite a number of years. Okay, so again, RSLs. Tell me a little bit about your RSL stuff because I've done some of those as well. Yeah, I did some Town FM, uh, Edmonton. You know, it was on cable, Cable London at the time and sometimes 87.7 as an RSL. That would have been about 97. Um, I did a few East London once I think one was on AM from around East Ham. Uh, I think that was 1992, um, that sort of time. And uh, as I say, hospital radio for the North Middlesex in Edmonton. Um, I did quite a long time there as well. And um, that kind of is where I felt that I sort of got polished up, really. That sort of like polished up my presentation because, um, all right, you was broadcasting to a different audience. It was all internal, although it was on AM, 999 AM through an induction loop. Um, I think there was only one part of the hospital that couldn't hear it. Um, the rest of it, it was fine. Um, as soon as you walked out the building, obviously it faded out of the radio. Um, but uh, it's very clever, uh, the setup uh, that they had. And uh, one of the first studios that I remember to have Reduga installed. They had this software playout system called Reduga. Um, I don't know how many thousands of pounds it costs, unless they got a bootleg copy or something. But um, yeah, I started to use that. And then they were having this uh, P-square system put in, you know, where they have the um, uh, bedside uh, console where you can watch movies and listen to radio and all that. As soon as they put that in, that was the death knell for the, for the hospital radio um, because I think um, 
listeners or people in the hospital could then tune to any normal radio station outside uh, through the system. And um, also some hospitals started to merge their radio stations. So they come from one central hospital broadcasting to all the other hospitals. So all the other smaller hospital radio stations due to funding or whatever decided to close down and just take the feed from another hospital which is what happens a lot nowadays, you know. Again, hospital radio is something that I, I knew about and was never really got involved in, but I, I visited North Mids, funny enough. I know there were pirates involved in that, and they had the most spectacular studio I'd ever seen. Uh, it was beautiful. I don't, I don't, it, it was probably a little bit before when you were. This would have been late 70s, probably early 80s, I would imagine. But it, it looked very, very professional in my eyes. Uh, another one I, I knew was Forest. Radio Forest, which was in Epping in Essex. Again, run by guys from the BBC. You weren't allowed to talk about pirate radio there at all. Um, and they, I turned up in a Thameside T-shirt once and they looked very, very damn their nose at me. Uh, but it was run by BBC uh, technical guys. And, and again, had a beautiful setup, really good, you know, um, uh, sun effects, cart machines and everything. It was brilliant. And Whips Cross <laughs> was another one which, which I, I visited. My brother was on that for a bit and I visited that as well. So Hospital Radio... The thing is, and I've said this before on, on the podcast, is that radio people love a studio and love to look at a studio. And there's just something about it, something aesthetic, which I really love about looking at other people's studios and, and, and having a studio of my own as well. Let, let's bring Gary Drew up to date. What, what are you doing now? Are you still on the air? Are you doing anything at all in the radio world? At the moment, I'm not doing any radio at all. Um, I decided to take a break from it about three years ago now. Um, so I've been having a backseat uh, due to life circumstances and stuff. But um, I've been doing a bit of toast mastering, um, which I don't mind doing. The odd wedding and, uh, you know, some business meetings, announcing up on the stage like a, a bit of a Steve Jobs, you know, with a headset on, <laughs> giving a presentation, pointing at the screen and in front of 300-plus uh, people, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I don't mind doing that, but... Um, I kind of wanted to have a little break. Uh, the last time I did radio was three years ago. And um, since then, I just wanted to sort of um, take a break, do some other stuff, a um, little bit of my own voiceover and production work as well, um, and restoring old recordings, which is what I really like doing. I like getting old recordings that, you know, that are worse for wear, like tape hiss and all that, cleaning them up restoring them, enhancing them, putting them on MP3 uh, sticks or SD cards or CDs or whatever, you know, and, and putting them online as well. I provide a lot of archives to a lot of organisations, you know, that I've lovingly restored to keep the spirit of free radio alive, shall we say. There's plenty of, um, of archive things going on out there. There's a big one for Ireland, obviously, and I know that there's a guy who, at uh, one of the universities in Dublin who is collating an archive for academic purposes about the Irish pirates. And of course, as you know, I, I, I have contact with the uh, um, amfm.org people, .org.uk, uh, and the pirate archive as well. So, uh, and it's lovely to listen to that stuff. I've, I've, I don't think I'm on any of it, uh, but I've got very few off-air recordings of myself. Uh, there's a few of other people who are on stations that I was on, but... Um, I think I've only got two recordings of myself actually off air. 
which is which is a bit disappointing seeing as I was on the radio for so long at the time. Um, Laser Hot Hits was something else I wanted to ask you about, and I know that they were on shortwave for quite a long time. Tell me a little bit about like, your Laser Hot Hits and, and what you know about them. Yeah, I'd been listening to Laser Hot Hits since about 2004, but I knew it would... I knew it had been around for a, a long, long time. It actually started in 1990. Um, and then I think it was FM first and then moved to shortwave around 93, 94. Um, but I'd been listening to it on shortwave for, since about 2004. And then one day out of the blue, I thought to myself, I'm going to get back into radio. I don't want to do RSL work again. I want to be able to play what I want to play and do what I want to do. So I contacted Laser and... Then I was on the books and I was doing um, one show a month recorded, which was going out on shortwave for a number of years, which was brilliant. And um, later on, I went on to do live shows online. Sometimes they were live with the stream uh, on the shortwave and other times, you know, the stream was separate and the show would be on the archive on the shortwave later on. And then I became more regular doing every other Sunday or every couple of Sundays and uh, until about three years ago. And then I just decided after being with them for about 10 years that I was just going to take a break again, you know. But um, I loved it. I loved my time with them. I loved listening to my shows on shortwave. Um, and it was really good because the good thing about shortwave, when it's working well and conditions are right, when they were on 4026 uh, in the 75 meter band, you could go anywhere in Britain and guarantee every night during the darkness path you'd hear it. No matter where you was, I went on holiday to Norfolk, North Norfolk. I went to Cornwall, Devon, everywhere I went, I put the shortwave on at night and I'd hear it, you know. They, they were such dedicated people to, to the shortwave, you know. And when all the other shortwave stations weren't on, they were. And, uh, you know, at weekends and that, you'd get all your weekend shortwave stations come up on a Sunday morning and that. But Laser was always there during the week as well. And um, it used to amaze me how much they, um, how much effort they put into keeping it going, you know. Do you, do you know where they used to broadcast from or um, what sort of power they were using? I do, but I don't want to say if you know what I mean. No, that's fine, that's fine. I assume it was in the UK somewhere. In, in and close, in and close, yeah. Oh, that, no, that, that's interesting that, that they were just on the air. Um, I don't know whether the authorities are that. They, I think they went through a spate of, of raiding shortwave stations a little while ago and put quite a lot of them off the air. Again, I don't know if it's a thing that they worry about too much these days, whether the resources they have um, they want to try and use for other things. And if it's not causing a problem or interfering, it doesn't really matter. And they have, I think they've probably figured there's not a massive audience for it anyway. So. Well, this is it. I mean, a lot of the shortwave audience are DXers or anorak type people. Um, but there's still that um, enthusiasm, you know. They, they still send emails or they still send emails. And um, when we had a mailing address, they wrote to that. And we'd get international letters... Um, and we did quite well from the 76 metres at the time it was on. Um, and uh, it was on for a very long time. And, um, yeah, very, a very successful frequency for its time, you know. I don't know much about shortwave. was never involved in shortwave stations. And, again, listen, back in the 80s a little bit, it would seem like an awful lot of work, very little result for me <laughs> as, as far as a listener was concerned. 
But uh, and I, I do have a shortwave radio now, but I wouldn't even know where to find them anymore. Okay, so that's what Gary G, or Mixmaster G, as we like to call you as well, uh, is up to now. Uh, thanks ever so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You know, we, I want to have as many different people as we can get talking about their experiences in pirate radio, and yours is as valid as anyone else's. You know, without people like you, a lot of stations would never have existed. Uh, I know we talk about transmitter builders and, you know, people who ran stations and so on, but, but there's so many people involved in the whole thing. And like I say, I was never a transmitter builder. I was a, the best I could do was tune up a medium, you know, attach a wire, tune up a medium wave rig, turn a tape on, and that was it for me. <laughs> it's as near as I ever got to engineering, to be honest. And, and I used to broadcast through dreadful aerials. I know they were. Um, I realise they were now anyway, put it that way. I would do it very, very differently. Anybody who is interested in what we've been talking about to do with broadcasting and pirating and where it's gone, we'd love to hear from you. I remember the, the email address is piratepod7080 at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from anybody who, who's got any comments to make. Go to the Facebook site, talk about it there. And anybody who wants to come on and talk about that, we'd be really, really pleased to get you on the podcast to hear what your opinions are. Gary, thank you ever so much for your time and telling us about your time in pirate radio and the world of radio. Thank you, Mark. And uh, it's been a pleasure doing the uh, podcast with you. And I must say how much I'm enjoying it. And uh, it's rekindled my enthusiasm hearing it and finding it on Facebook. And, um, you know, it made me think about all the good times of the pirate days and brought back all the memories. And it's wonderful to hear some of the names that I used to listen to on various stations now coming on here and talking about their experiences. And uh, I just think it's uh, a real good um, uh, revisit to the heyday of pirate radio. You hear lots of stuff about the offshore era, uh, which I know a lot about as well, but you never hear much about the inland side of things. And there was so much of it. It really has rekindled the interest. So well done on the podcast and keep it going. You know, it's brilliant. No problem. I, I really love doing it. I love talking to people. And what you said about rekindling interest and people starting a debate and talking about it is really what, what I wanted to do with it. So thank you very much as well. And yes, Land-Based Pirate Radio. We're the people who really change the world. <laughs> Thanks very much, Gary. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to this Pirates of the Airways podcast. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation or just make a comment on what we've been talking about, then go to the Landbase Pirate Radio of the 70s and 80s Facebook group or email us at piratepod7080 at gmail.com. We'll be back on the 21st of September with another guest from the 70s and 80s pirate radio scene. Until then, stay safe and keep a good look out. Radio Nova, broadcasting on 1404 kilohertz of the medium wave band, 212 meters. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.